Hey, it's your host, April. This show, The High Guide, talks about altered states of consciousness brought on by cannabis and psychedelics and is intended for audiences 21 and over. If you've been listening to the show for a while and you like what you hear, please leave us a rating, a review, or a heart wherever you listen to podcasts. And lastly, I'm not a medical professional. If you are experiencing any mental or physical health concerns, please seek a licensed medical professional. And if you really want to make a shift in your life, you have got to cultivate that witness, that part of you that is always coming from a place of compassion and curiosity, non-judgmental. It's not about ragging on yourself. It's about being endlessly curious with what's going on in your own mind. Hey, I'm April Pride, your host on the High Guide Podcast. This is a show for women who have an open and curious mind, and this is a show all about women changing their lives thanks to altered states. You just heard from Natasha Lannard, our High Guide, who this season is teaching us to cultivate the witness while we're in an altered state of consciousness so that we can replace judgment and shame with curiosity and compassion. Have you ever wondered, how do I avoid a bad trip? An obvious but oft overlooked reason our trips can quote, go bad, is how our bodies show up for us in this vulnerable state. So we'll talk about the physical component of a trip for sure. Another way to steer clear of the drugs doing you dirty or staying in a playful space during a trip is conjuring up a healthy dose of curiosity versus attaching judgment to what will inevitably come up. On this episode, it's time to journey with our sister trippers. Finally. We are going to get into listening to each of our sister trippers share how their trips began and in individual follow-up episodes, you'll hear the extended dialogue between Natasha, our high guide, and each woman as she integrates her experience after taking two grams of psilocybin mushrooms. But before we get into the trippy part, remember to stay to the almost end for our trip tips. And remain after I sign off because we'll end every episode this season with a 10-minute excerpt from one of the High Guide's very own guided psychedelic audio journeys produced in partnership with Patchworks. All the sounds you'll hear throughout this episode are sampled from the High Guide's journey number three, featured in episode 28 of this podcast. And I chose this audio because its title is exactly the energy I hope that you bring to your psychedelic journey tripping to trust your gut. So find a quiet spot, put on some headphones, and listen to this short sample with the simple intention of telling yourself that you trust yourself because confidence can be cultivated. And speaking of cultivating that which will serve us best, this brings us to our word of the week. And by word, I mean more of a phrase, which is cultivating the witness. You've heard me talk about this throughout our previous episodes. And if I were to set an intention for our, dear listeners, journey together this season, it is to make sure that when we finish here, each of you can appreciate the importance of this practice in your psychedelic experiences and IRL. Rather than paraphrase or cut this crucial principle short, I went straight to the source of such wisdom of cultivating the witness, Ram Dass. The following are his words taken directly from his website, which I've linked to in the show notes for this episode. So I'm quoting here. One way to get free of attachment is to cultivate the witness consciousness, to become a neutral observer of your own life. The witness place inside you is simple awareness, the part of you that is aware of everything, just noticing, watching, not judging, just being present, being here now. He wrote a book about that too. The witness, I'm still quoting, the witness is actually another level of consciousness. The witness coexists alongside your normal consciousness as another layer of awareness, as the part of you that is awakening. Humans have this unique ability to be in two states of consciousness at once. Witnessing yourself is like directing the beam of a flashlight back at itself in any experience, sensory, emotional, or conceptual. There's the experience, the sensory or emotional or thought data, and there's your awareness of it. That's the witness, the awareness. 
And you can cultivate that awareness in the garden of your being. I'm still quoting. He continues, The witness is your awareness of your own thoughts, feelings, and emotions. Witnessing is like waking up in the morning and then looking in the mirror and noticing yourself, not judging or criticizing, just neutrally observing the quality of being awake. The process of stepping back takes you out of being submerged in your experiences and thoughts and sensory input and into self-awareness. Along with that self-awareness comes the subtle joy of just being here, alive, enjoying being present in this moment. Eventually floating in the subjective awareness, the objects of awareness dissolve, and you'll be able to come into the spiritual self, the Atman, which is pure consciousness, joy, compassion, the one. The witness is your centering device. It guides the work you do on yourself. Once you understand that, there is a place in you that is not attached. You can extricate yourself from attachments. Pretty much everything we notice in the universe is a reflection of our attachments. I included that entire, um, it's the entire webpage, (laughs) because this is the point of this season, right? Learning to understand why we are the way that we are and not judge ourselves for being that way. If after these wise words from Ram Das, you're still like, but April, what does this mean? How does this play out in real life? Sister Tripper Adelia Carrillo offers the perfect example of what it looks like to attach negative emotions to our behavior and how that can affect our experiences while under the influence. I had a a journey the other weekend with my partner and I think it was like I felt like I I felt like everything I tried to do, like, didn't work out. Like, I tried to make sure we had snacks. I tried to do all these things and, like, the snacks ended up not being done right or what. I don't know. It was just, like, everything. So I guess it's just how, you know, how do you reel yourself? I mean, do you reel yourself back in for something like this? Like, do you, Or do you just allow yourself to kind of go through those emotions? You know, like, if let's say I do these setups and, like, it doesn't work out, you know, and... Uh, it starts to bring me down that path. Like, do I just allow myself to kind of connect and say, why do I care so much that it's, you know, like almost like letting go of that? I I don't know. It was just an interesting thing I ran into. Well, you know, this is the thing that I think is so amazing about these experiences. And the more you do them, the more you're going to be aware of this is like cultivating that witness within yourself. And Natasha continues by explaining how we're conditioned to define the things that happen in our lives. Well, and I think so much of our culture, it's all, it has really been predicated around straitjacketing it, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, I feel grief. I got to tie this buddy up, right? Like, or, oh, I feel joy. I got to really get it together. And, you know, in an opportunity like this, um, with a psychedelic experience, it's the exact opposite. By feeling something fully, giving it a hundred percent of your attention, it's just opens the door for depth that you would not get otherwise. And something I spend a lot of time in contemplation with is around cultivating the witness in yourself. Mm. Like, can you give yourself that awareness of just witnessing, not mm. judging, not attaching, just full witnessing. And it can be very, very rewarding. And incredibly powerful, at least, you know, in my personal experiences and the experiences that I've seen with other people too. The language that Natasha uses in her self-talk when she's in a witness state is very matter of fact. I know that that's not, you know, who I am in the core. I'm just experiencing this right now and I'm not going to judge it. I'm just going to let it unfold, see what it has to show me. Natasha further explains the difference between witnessing and fixating. If you can take that mentality of that level of presence into a psychedelic experience, that's how you get stuff out of it because you don't get caught up in the content. That's the breaking through. If you went lay on a mat for five hours and replay the most horrible things that have ever happened to you before until you come to some point of sobriety, that's not breaking through because you're not able to get anything. You're not able to learn anything. You're not able to glean any insight from it because you're so caught up in your loop. Does that make sense? To know what is true and allow yourself to be consumed by the horrors of it, reliving a trauma, for instance, isn't the most compassionate or effective way for us to move forward. 
we're stuck in the loop. It reminds me of a scene from Fantastic Fungi, legendary mushroom cultivator and advocate Paul Stamets, relays his psilocybin trip while in high school that cured him of his stutter. While tripping, he asks himself something to the effect of, why do you do that? You really should stop doing that. He doesn't say it in a way that's judgmental. He just, matter-of-factly, you should really stop doing that. And the reason he wanted to stop doing that was because there was a girl that he liked and he really wanted to talk to her. He came out of this trip having shed his lifelong stutter. He didn't stay in the loop of all the ways the stutter had held him back and forward trip of how it would always do so and then spiral on what a life with a stutter will look like. He got curious and he cured himself. Just as Natasha has explained in this series, the point of integration in cultivating the witness is to allow us to tap into the healer within. This is the only way it happens. We decide when and trips take our ego offline long enough to assign new thinking to our old shit. In a previous episode, number 44, Growth Mindset Tripping, we discussed the ways in which mental training can lead to emotional strength. This doesn't cease being important the day of your planned trip. Keeping your mindset strong and clear is important on the day of your journey. Since Lalin and Maria are intending to commune with their ancestors, Natasha offers this advice. You begin your day with your ancestors. When you're drinking your coffee in the morning, that would be when I really invite them in and really start to form that connection. And like, I think one of the things that I personally do, which can be kind of helpful in these types of scenarios is like, show me, like, how will I know that you're here or whatever? Like, like make it, inviting them to make their presence known in a loving and gentle way. And then from there, obviously, as you prepare yourself for your ceremony, then that energy is already in the mix and they can kind of help, you know, guide you. And then you have an opportunity also too to really open up that channel and touch down into that connection in a deeper way. Although Maria's plan was to take her dose in the afternoon, she committed the entire day upon waking to her set and setting. I'll run you through the day because I think it was just really important for me to go into it with a very, obviously an open mind, but being really mindful of my headspace the whole day. Um, So, you know, waking up, doing a good workout, treating myself to a delicious breakfast that I cooked and like all the while just kind of like taking my time and not rushing through my day. Um, And then I went to get flowers and everything to build the altar as you've suggested. And yeah, it was really nice because I find that I tend to rush through my day and that's something that I really wanted to work through. So being incredibly mindful that day helped just keep me in like a very calm, even keeled space. Um, And then, yeah, putting the altar together was really relaxing and meditative. And I chose to take medicine during the day um, around like 2.30 Just because I wanted, you know, that afternoon sun, I wanted to go on a walk. Remember what we discussed in the previous episode on setting. You can start your trip outdoors, then retire inside when your thoughts and energy want to turn inward. The playlist you made me. I mean, (laughs) that was just, I think, the the best part. Because I ended up spending the majority of my experience kind of like laying in bed, um, with my eyes closed, just kind of like listening to the music. And during that time, it just, it's crazy how like when, with your eyes closed, it's almost like you're seeing dreams or like you're feeling emotions that you've never felt. Or there was one song in particular, and this is going to sound wacky, but it had very like mythical vibes to it. And almost like, um, like the way what I was kind of seeing was being like on a Viking ship. And I was this kind of like Viking captain, redheaded Viking. <laughs> but in terms of the imagery, I I could see like being on a boat and like the water rushing through and feeling the kind of wind, like the gusts of wind. And I think it was more like the feeling of being on a quest is I guess what was just really present. I have to say that water is definitely something that comes up a lot when I'm going on these journeys, especially when I'm, you know, eyes closed. I I just feel this movement 
Um, and yeah, also like the breezes, like that happens often. Beautiful. Yeah. So I'm curious if you would be open to it Mm -hmm. um, of elaborating a little bit more about what came up you were saying in this Viking imagery. Although we'll listen to more about Viking Maria and the significance of symbolism and imagery related to water and wind that she experienced during her trip, you'll have to tune in to her integration episode coming up later this season. For now, Maria's trip continues. Yeah, I was working through issues with my son. We had a tumultuous relationship. <laughs> yeah, it was with the sun. That was more of like a feeling. Like I never actually saw the sun, but like. I was saying, do you have a child? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when I heard this, I was so thrilled to have it on tape because one day Maria will probably have a son. Natasha offered this on Maria not actually seeing her quote son. Because it's not necessarily a scene, a scene sense experience doesn't mean you can't have a sensory experience otherwise. This same sentiment applies to communing with our ancestors. The definition of spirit is the non-physical part of a person, which is the seat of emotions and character, the soul. As we know, you cannot see what is not physically there, but that doesn't mean you're not aware of its essence, which is defined as the intrinsic nature or indispensable quality of something, especially something abstract, that determines its character. You may recall that communing with ancestors was the intention set by both Maria, who you just heard from, and you'll hear more about that in her integration episode. Our other sister tripper, Lalin, was looking to do the same. My intention was just to connect on a spiritual level, to be open to any messages that my ancestors may have for me or to seek any guidance, um, also to feel whatever feelings could possibly come up. I was in Guerneville, which is surrounded by redwoods. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I could see the redwoods out my window. Um, and that was, that was just amazing feeling the energy. I, I went outside and saw a bajillion stars and cause it was totally mm. dark. Like Maria, Lalin split the time of her psychedelic journey between indoors and outside. Also, like Maria, she set up an altar. I set up an altar with flowers, um, a cup of water. You know, I did I did have a couple of candles. Tis tis Lalin. You know, I took the shrooms. I, I did do the lemon tech. For those of you wondering what the Lemon Tech is, listen to episode 43 in this podcast for ways you can prepare the psilocybin mushrooms to dial in the potency and onset. I can so relate to the fumbles Lalin shares with us in the following. I forgot the grinder, so there was... <laughs> uh, I just tried to cut them up as small as I could, so I was a little nervous about that. Um figuring that, okay, I don't know if I'm doing this right. I don't know if it's going to be effective. There were like a few little stumbles along the way, um, but... That's what makes it fun. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah. And then I'm like, I lost some of the... I was like trying to... Yeah. It, it's just, I don't need to go into the details, but <laughs> so there were just some some fumbles. I ended up like chewing, just eating, eating them after I drank the juice because I just wasn't sure... If I had, I don't know, I just wasn't sure. So, um, and then I forgot my gender shoes. Going back to what Adelia shared earlier in this episode and the intention I've set for us this season, witness, <laughs> just witness the fact that the grinder didn't make it. Shit happens. Like shrooms that taste like shit stuck in your teeth. But hey, this is not the time to attach emotions of failing being a failure, and forever doomed to fail. We all know how spilled milk and lost grinders can end in our lives never amounting to anything, at least not with us at the helm. Okay. The ginger chews, though, uh, witnessing the fact that you forgot them and showing yourself compassion for a mistake doesn't mean you'll skirt the physical consequences their presence was intended to avoid. Lalin unfortunately succumbed to shroom's stomach. You know, it was a bit of a 
discomfort in the beginning, you know, and I just allowed myself to rest and I laid in bed and, you know, I actually couldn't even really listen to music. I just laid in silence Mm. (laughs) and just like laid there and, you know, kind of observed my thoughts um, coming in and out. And next thing I know, I think over some time, that's when I could start to feel, you know, the effects coming on, um, noticing things that are, you know, beyond words, you know, in my, in my, behind my eyeballs, you know, just, yeah. <laughs> um, just like some images. I, I did get a sense of like feeling a little underwater, like in a good way. Um, yeah. and, and then, but because of also some of the bodily sensations, I just, um, I resorted to singing, um, which I probably would have done anyway, but, um, that kind of helped me to feel better. So I would just sing and, um, I sang acapella for a while and I sung about just healing and yeah, basically healing myself. Um, and there actually unexpectedly, there was a piano, like a keyboard, um, in the room. So I also just ended up playing around on the keyboard and singing, you know, just like whatever came to, to mind. Interjected with lots of strange moans because it's just like the feelings of the waves, you know, just felt a lot, you know, for my body. Um, yeah. It wasn't even like a visually um, intense or anything. It's just, yeah, just intense in the body, you know. Yeah. Um, when I was starting the trip, I knew that I wanted to listen to um, someone named So An, who is a Vodou, a Haitian Vodou singer. And I didn't know what exactly. And I, I happened to have Spotify on my computer. So I just opened Spotify. There was one album and the first song was called Marasa, which is symbolizes twins um, in the Haitian pantheon mm-hmm. of of the spirits um the loa so my mom is a twin and i have lots of twins on my maternal side mm-hmm. and so there's um it's believed that when you have twins in your family that that part of part of the spirits that you serve are the are the divine twins um my mom's twin passed away uh, many, many years ago, before I even had a chance to meet him, he was in Haiti. And, um, so, but I felt it was a way to really connect with him. Um, I Mm. could feel the, a sense that I hadn't really felt before. Um, I just, all of a sudden I could feel that he has been with me, that he has been helping support me. And so I just felt the channeling of that healing energy. And I played this song probably a hundred times. I just had it on repeat singing to the Marasa, you know, just really thinking about the blessings in my life and how, and the healing in my life and how they've really been, a part of that. Um, and that's what I fell asleep to. I had my speaker in my bed and just curled, <laughs> up, curled up beside it <laughs> and, and just listened to the, the magnificence of the drumming and the singing. Um, and yeah, after I just felt really comforted, you know, really held and, yeah. um, and I mean, and other, other things came up just around, you know, just taking care of myself and how to keep healing, um, how to keep fostering my communication with the earth. And, and, um, I think feeling unwell, you know, made me, you know, think about just making sure that I'm taking good care of myself and eating right and doing all these things. But the only thing that comes to mind is I do wonder if, 
if the discomfort has to be a part of it. I know I forgot my ginger chews. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I just, and maybe it is, maybe it is a part of the process. And, you know, that's maybe just life that you can't fully have one thing without the other. As you might imagine, Natasha knows a thing or two about the meaning behind Lalin's physical discomfort, which we'll hear her address in Lalin's upcoming integration episode. For the purposes of better understanding our body and our trip, Natasha has this to say. When we get into these very elevated, altered states, that the physical discomfort is sometimes a reminder of just the basics of humanity. Mm. You have a body. That doesn't mean that it's not uncomfortable. Other part, too, that I've witnessed in my experiences, you know, holding space for other people is that sometimes physical discomfort is a sign or a symbol or a calling or an urge to move some energy. As we learned in the first episode this season, in addition to facilitating sacred plant ceremonies, Natasha is a certified breathwork facilitator. She explains how our breath can help us stay calm while tripping. I really think that breathwork is such a powerful tool. And it's, you know, it is a subtle magic until it's not subtle, right? It's incredibly powerful. It's just not the type of in-your-face power or thing that people, you know, necessarily associate with that. Um, And I can't really think of a better you know, tool, the more aware we are of our breath, because that's the presence thing, right? Like breathing is an automatic bodily function. As long as you're alive, you're breathing. But that doesn't mean that you're present of your breath. Mm -hmm. And also too, like when you think about it, just from like a pure science perspective, like the nerves that activate the parasympathetic nervous system are lower in the lung. Mm -hmm. That's why when you breathe deeply, you feel calm is because it's hitting all of those nerves and allowing you to reset your nervous system into that rest and digest. Having the ability to realize that a lot of what we're experiencing could easily be remedied by simply being aware of and taking some level of presence in our breath, it becomes very powerful. Speaking of very powerful, you may recall from episode 44 that our final sister tripper, Adelia, is working through the emotional pain of the challenges she and her partner are facing trying to conceive a child. Trust me, this is definitely a powerful trip that started off simply as planned. So I set up my office. I made it like a whole little thing. I got pillows, coloring books, all the things that I think I would want um, for that, that time period. And I got a great playlist and I took the recommended dosage. Um, so it was Golden Teachers, the two grams. And then... Wow is the first thing that I got to say. It's just wow. <laughs> <laughs> like I have not experienced anything like that. But it's like a crazy story of what what, what all went down. Um, do great. You, do you just go into it? Like, Yeah. So let's let's start with what happened and then we'll go into the to the part of the meaning of it. In Adelia's integration episode, she and Natasha go into the meaning of it. But on this episode, we get to hear the, this shit only happens when you're high specifics. Take it away, Adelia. I I went through so much. I went, I I cried tears of like grief and, and just sadness. And just like through all the loss that has come over the years, you know, I, I, it just, I was able to just like, let it go in a different way than I haven't been before I I wasn't able to. And so that was just, it it was amazing. And then I would go into these different kind of peaks. So it would be a little bit, you know, the the sadness, just crying, letting it all out. And then it would be filled with just like beauty and love and the tears would be happy. And, and then there were waves again, too, where it would just be uh, like, I was overcome with just like, like, I guess sexuality, just like empowered, like embodied, like within my body, that it was just the craziest thing. Like it was just, I kept saying, like, I'm no longer afraid of like the, what the future might hold for, you know, with my pregnancy stuff, just because it has been so, 
such an up and down and filled with loss that I, I, I was just more of a, I'm confident now with my body. I'm in love with my body, just all these things that were happening. So this is all going on in my office. My partner took mushrooms as well. He had a different strain. Apparently after that, I go in there and he's like, I don't know what you were doing. He's like, but your energy, he's like, I felt the wall shaking. He's like, you are powerful. You are powerful. And I'm like, what? What happened? Like, so he could feel some sort of energy. Like he literally had this whole moment where when I, I think like I was over here thinking about pregnancy and my body and everything. And he actually was in that component, that moment where he felt like he was being reborn. Like he went into like the bathtub and he was like, I felt like I was in, like he was the baby. Like it was so weird. Like we had no idea we were talking about, like we were both thinking of anything around that realm of things. And he was thinking of it that way. And I was going through it. Like it was crazy. <laughs> I needed it. <laughs> was like, yeah. Just that whole, you know, having the conversation with you before and putting it in my mind of just listening to my body, you know, not what my head wanted at the time, just my body really allowed me to just have a completely different experience than, than I've felt before. It lasted longer. And that's but, but also, too, I have not taken like a I haven't taken two two grams before I've done about one point five. So so it was larger. So then I'm like, OK, that makes sense why it was longer. No, it was just honestly, like, I just felt like this, the biggest, the other part that I just felt really powerful was just the empowerment. Like, I just felt like I could become that, you know, little bit of good energy out there to like share with others, you know, while I'm here kind of thing. And so um, I ended up texting like a bunch of like my girlfriends, some like em- little sentence that was just like an empowering sentence, like to honor themselves kind of thing. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know why I did it, but it was just those little things of just like, feeling all the emotions, allowing to feel empowered, allowing to feel uh, very beautiful, allowing to feel even the pain. It it was, yeah, I went through a lot of things. (laughs) Adelia definitely went through a lot of things. Yes, the kind of things that, like I said, only happen when you're high. All trips include going through a lot of things. So how do you keep track of what arises while you're tripping? Maria was also curious about this and addressed it with Natasha during her intake. I have a question. If um, obviously during the whole experience, sometimes you know it would be hard to journal some stuff. Like I'm sure if words come out, I can write stuff down. But would you recommend like after the experience and I feel more settled and within my body, should I kind of jot down what I went through so that in our integration se- session, I can you know go through that. So one of the things for me personally, when I am journeying, I always have my journal next to me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, I don't write sentences because one of the things you just want to be mindful of is you don't want to hyper engage the cognitive mind in mm-hmm. this because you kind of shut this, the experience down. Mm-hmm. So usually what comes to me in these experiences and what is helpful, exactly what you're saying, words, like maybe if it's just a phrase or something like that. And then I will just go through and just kind of dump them out as they come through. Mm -hmm. And then one of the things that you could, you could do it at the end of the night. I think the other thing too, is like looking at it fresh thing in the morning and being like, all right, like what was really sticky Mm -hmm. out of all of this stuff here? Like, what are these themes that looking at this from a fresh eye, I feel like had a particular depth. The other thing that can be helpful with doing that too, is it allows more of the experience to unfold in the dreamscape. Like Natasha, I too keep a journal handy when I journey. To say that what I've recorded on the page is chicken scratch about sums it up. Yes, there are words that I use to help guide my integration, but often, like Adelia, I find that I'm reminding myself to connect with a person who's come up. On the page will be a name, and usually that's enough to urge me to reach out. I don't always remember the specifics of what came up during the trip related to this person, but a simple, hey, I was thinking about you during a very rare moment of hyper-focused intentionality, and I just wanted you to know that has all the makings of a powerful message that connects deeply with someone you care about. I know when friends have shared this with me, when I've jumped into their thoughts while tripping, hey, (laughs) surprise, it's usually attached to well wishes and warm emotions. 
The other thing that my notes include is stuff that was shrouded in urgency and emotion, but in reflection the next day, I felt more, huh, about my transcription. In at least one case, something that seemed mundane and meh (laughs) proved significant in the months that followed. And I attribute this to the medicine reminding me that intuition is often about small thoughts and to not dismiss how we feel about something that's as little as, say, should I stay in this hotel or should I stay in an Airbnb? If your gut says to Airbnb it, then you show up and the host has a book on the coffee table that inspires a current creative project. This is how intuition works. And you know how I feel about tripping. It has been a vital modality in both fostering and affirming how much I can and do trust myself and my decisions. Since we'll begin moving into each Sister Tripper's integration next week, let's close out this episode with trip tips that outline the questions the three main phases of tripping entail. Intention setting, journeying, and integration. Natasha is going to set this up for us. And so the intentionality is really what focuses, uh, I mean, a whole range from our body to our mind to our soul to whatever is like, what, what are we doing? Like, let's say my intention, my intention is to feel a greater connection to the essence that is beyond my human form. Okay. That's what I'm doing here. Okay. So then the how, how am I going to do that? I am going to set up a beautiful place in my home that is comfortable, that is warm, that is safe. And I am going to, for the next, you know, four hours, dedicate myself to the experience that unfolds from taking whatever medicine it may be. So I got my why. Why am I doing this? You know, I got my how. How am I going to do it? And then really the integration is the what. What came up? Okay. To repeat, our trip tips. We start out setting an intention to answer the question, what are we doing? Then we move into the psychedelic journey itself. And this is the modality that answers, how am I going to do that? By tripping. And lastly, integration is the time to reflect on our time under the influence. What came up? Before signing off with Lalin, Natasha shared these final words. The one last thing I will say to you that I say to everyone that I work with is that, you know, in the realm of infinite possibilities, anything is possible. Hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That magic that you're talking about Mm -hmm. is real. These are words to listen to, write on a piece of paper, and add to your altar. Recite as your mantra in the days preceding your trip and as a daily affirmation. I'm going to repeat it. In the realm of infinite possibilities, anything is possible. Magic is real. Thank you for listening to this episode of The High Guide. I'm your host, April Pride. Please tune in next week when we meet our three sister trippers as they prepare for their psychedelic journey. Please check out our website, thehigh.guide, for more information on The High Guide and for this episode's show notes. And remember to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Give us a heart on Spotify. It really does help more people find the show. I leave you with a 10-minute sample from The High Guide's Psyched Audio series. You're listening to the Psychedelic Audio Journey number three, featured in episode 28 and produced in partnership with Patchworks. See you on the other side.